All right, the rest of us, we're going to be continuing this uh, new message series that we started, Elevate, Rising Above, Rising Above. Aren't you so glad (laughs) that God is like eternal, like he's been there before you. He knew your story way before you ever even drew a breath. He knew you. He knew you by name. Um, he's with you right now, and of course we know that he's already there in the end. He's eternal. He's eternal. And so we get to turn to him, because we, as we started learning last week, we live in this fallen world corrupt by sin. And you don't have to look very far to see that truth, right? I mean, you don't even have to go to the Bible to learn about how this is a fallen world so corrupt. You know, I mean, just in every way. Um, you know, if, if you've ever had a home and you let it sit for a little while, you find out in a hurry. It just, it blows my mind, you know, how quickly a home that's not actively lived in starts to deteriorate and decay and stuff, you know? I mean, I walked through our house the other day, and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, nobody's even here to make a mess or anything. What's happening? (laughs) You know, it's amazing. This world, you know, that's, I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but, you know, I I, I have a hard time believing in, in evolution because I just don't see how, I don't see things building up into something greater and more complex. I see everything breaking down if it is not maintained in this world and in this life. But this morning, we were reminded that even though that is the reality that we face, every day we face opposition and challenges um, from many different uh, sources, many different kinds, many different severities. We are all walking through something challenging in this life because of that. But we were reminded that we never walk through them alone. That as we walk through those things, we are being invited by Jesus to rise up above all the muck and mire of this world, and to be seated on, on in heavenly places, right? To have our feet set on the rock, that he is elevating us. He's inviting us to rise up above it all. And so last week, uh, we were challenged, especially with, you know, this being an election season, all the mudslinging that happens, you know. I mean, I love when I'm watching YouTube, you know, anytime I try to watch, um, you know, a Trump press briefing, I get like five Biden ads. When I watch Biden's hour-long thing, I don't get a single ad at all, you know, and I'm like, Come on, Google, you know, we're, we're smarter than that. We see what's happening here, you know. But man, the mudslinging that happens and how susceptible we are, and myself personally, you know. When you learn there's some dirt on somebody, you want to hear it and you want to share it, right? And, and as, you know, kind of challenge us that as kingdom people, we really need to rise above, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we need to rise above it and, uh, and talk about what's actually happening and, and focusing on truth and not on agenda, you know. Um, you know, as, as, as the, each party likes to... To uh, paint the picture of the other because of that. We also were challenged and kind of encouraged that everything that God calls us to do and every single thing that God calls us to be can never be stopped. That us as kingdom people, no matter what government we're living in, no matter who is in the White House in this country, even when you're, if you're living in you know, the People's Republic of China in a communist nation, no matter what you're living in, nothing can stop you. Romans chapter 8 reminds us that no law can ever be written, no legislation can ever stop you from living a fruitful life. Nobody can stop you from loving them, from being kind to them, from being gentle, from being patient. Nobody can ever stop any of those things, no matter how hard they may try. We talked about some of the persecuted church, when people have tried to stop them. You can't stop someone from forgiving you and loving you and doing all these things. Like, you are an unstoppable force. In fact, we see in the the book of Acts, in the New Testament... The more that the government started persecuting the church, confiscating their personal property, putting them in jail, killing them, demanding that they stop 
speaking the name of Jesus, actually the church grew. Every day people were giving their lives to Jesus in the midst of that persecution. So let's, let, let's not make it take that, right? Church, we're going to rise up before God needs to bring that kind of persecution and start reaching the lost and, and seeing God's kingdom here on the earth. Uh, so we're challenged to do all those things. We're able to do it because of Jesus. He gives us everything that we need in every season to do what he's called us to do. This week we're going to be learning how to see beyond our current circumstances to understand what God is doing. Because that's the biggest challenge when we face dark seasons of life and challenging seasons. You know, and, and so often we ask that question. And I ask that question to God too sometimes. It's like, why? Why, God? Why are you allowing this? Why are you letting me go through this season? I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't see what you're doing. You know, and, and, and it, I'm reminded of instances like um, there was a man who was brought to Jesus, and he was crippled for something like 36 years. And the people asked, they're like, well, was it his sin or his parents' sin? Why, why is he crippled? Why was he allowed to be, you know, why is this happening? They kept asking why, 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 and they tried to blame it on somebody or something. And all that Jesus said is that it was so that God can be glorified, and he healed him. You know, that, that was the answer that he gave. It's so he could be glorified. And he was healed in that instant. Same with the woman with the issue of blood. She suffered for how many years? I mean, you know, but God has a perfect timing. And his, his plan and his purpose is always to bring healing and restoration. Not just when you kick the bucket and you go into heaven and get your new body. We've seen and we have testimonies even here in this little crowd this morning over and over again of how God restored what is medically impossible, what is physically impossible, yet he did it here and now. That's how good our God is, how miraculous, you know, he can work. Um, you know, we touched on this a, a little bit last week about how we sort of exist as hybrids. We're here on the earth, we're in the muck and mire, but we're also seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's what the Word of God teaches us. I won't even begin to tell you that I fully understand that can explain it, but we're just going to go with what the Word of God teaches us and believe it to be true. You know, that we're, we're sort of exist as hybrids. So in this world, what that enables us to do is we live kind of upside down, topsy-turvy, kind of, you know, in a backwards way, the way that we used to live before. We now live differently now that we've given our lives to Jesus and we trust what his word teaches us to do. And as we just do what he calls us to do, we start to see the evidence of that truth. We do things that don't make any earthly sense, and yet we find that God works it out. We do things that the rest of the world is like, what are you thinking? But then God takes care of us. And you prove that nothing I could have done on my own, it was all him, right? Um, we, we do things like this. We, we give that we might receive. It doesn't always make any sense. You know, you don't, you don't get rid of something to gain something. But in the kingdom of God, you do. You want everything with an open hand. You let God get, take away, and God also then gives, right? Isn't that how an open hand works? A fist you know, you can get rid of things, but you can't put anything inside of it, right? When you live life with an open hand and just a generous heart, you freely give, and the Lord freely gives as well. You know, you end up being a conduit. We bless when we're cursed, and that is a challenge to do, right? But we do that, and we see the fruits and the result of it. I mean, you keep boiling coals on, Nate reminded me of that the other day, you know, on their heads whenever you do those things. We die that we might live, it doesn't seem to make sense, but we do. We die to self. Remember we talked about baptism and, and how, you know, last week and how we, uh, we, we kind of look like zombies sometimes, you know. You're supposed to crucify those things, but they like to come back to life. We die that we might live. We forgive. 
Even when vengeance is ours to, to administer, and even when we have every rightful reason to, to take vengeance on somebody, we choose to forgive instead. You know, um, uh, we, we love and we honor, even when, man, people give us no reason to love them and to honor them, we still do it. And then we see the kingdom results, you know, happen. Transformation takes place. What do we do? We, we, we actually put the horse in front of the cart when the world has the cart in front of the horse. We, in fact, the, the Word of God teaches it that way. I think it was in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament when Jesus said that, or when God spoke and said that we would be the head and not the tail, Right? We lead by faith. We do what doesn't make sense, and as a result, transformation takes place. And the Word of God proves itself to be true. Why do we do that? Because we live in this world, we face the same challenges that everyone else does, but we're able to rise above them. We're able to rise above them and lead in that way. We have something that, that those who are not yet saved don't have, and that is a living hope. We have a relationship with Jesus we are filled with the, the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave. I mean, we are something awesome. Not because of ourselves, but because of what God has created us to be. And so it gives us the, we're equipped to be able to do these things that, that just do not make sense to the world. But as a result, everyone can look and see what happens. When I extend forgiveness in time, relationship can be reconciled. That, that, that even Dr. Phil can't work and fix out, you know? That, that, that the Holy Spirit is able to work when we do these things. Because we're able to see beyond the here and now. We're able to see what God is doing through them. We're equipped with the power to bring about change and to actually rise above our opposition. We all, as spiritual believers, have been equipped to rise above our opposition and to overcome it all. We are, we are called, remember last week, more than conquerors, more than overcomers. You can overcome and you can do so much more than that. I mean, it's awesome what, what we're able to do because there is no one like our God. There is nothing that is impossible for him. There is nothing that is too hard for him. And we've got a personal relationship with him. He calls us friend. That is amazing. And so if you want to turn ahead of me, we're going to be reading here from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. And I didn't give you much of a heads up because that's where I'm at now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse... Oh, I guess I did. I didn't realize it was up on the screen. Okay. So, <laughs> it says this. And this may be exactly where you're at right now in life. In fact, I can guarantee all of us in some area of our lives can amen what Paul is writing here about himself. About him and the other disciples. He says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side. And I remember telling Becky that just the other night. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I just feel like everything we do is opposed. Like, you know, when, when I think this is fixed, then something else pops up. When I, I mean, and that, I'm like, I know it's just life. We live in a fallen, sinful world. That's it. You know, there's opposition everywhere. But, man, I'm ready, ready to rise up above it and to start kicking some butt here, you know, making some progress. Um, so we are hard-pressed on every side. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Be honest. I don't understand what's going on and what God's doing here. We're perplexed. But we're not in despair. We are persecuted. But we are never abandoned. We are struck down. But we're not destroyed. You guys might know the song that's written about these scriptures, right? Blessed but not crushed. Persecuted. Yeah, not abandoned. All right, verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You know, you've got life and death both happening all at the same time. You know, you're, you're dying and you're coming alive. And if, you know, it, it doesn't, it sounds like a paradox and it sounds contradictory, but I mean, just take a look at the natural world. What do you have to do to a seed for it to come to life? If you leave it in that seed packet forever, it's always just going to be a seed, right? You got to kill that thing. You got to bury it. Kill it, bury it, you know? And nothing happens for a long time. Unless it's like a bean plant, it sprouts up in a day, you know? Nothing happens for the longest time. It's there dead in the ground. Then the next thing you know, life, the, the evidence of life springs forth. And what you don't realize is through that dark season when nothing seems to be happening, life is happening inside of that seed. It is being transformed and it is breaking out and it's growing roots. Before you ever see any green on the surface, man, it is digging roots down into the ground to grab all the nutrients and water and everything that it needs. So when you're in those dark seasons of despair and you don't understand what is happening, just trust that you're being rooted. Trust that you're being grown. You're being matured. Your character is being shaped in a way that can only come through, let's just say it, a bunch of crap, right? That's the best, the, the, the best uh, soil for seeds to grow in is one that's just fraught with, you know, all kinds of fertilizer, manure and everything, right? So when crap happens in life, that's an opportunity to grow faster than you've ever grown in your life before, Right? So don't be offended by it. Be like, bring it on, you know? Yeah, <laughs> we're growing. We're growing through this thing. <laughs> and we continue on here in verse 11. It says, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might be revealed in our mortal bodily. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work for you. We are putting to death the flesh, and the only reason we're coming back to life, it's not really for our own good and benefit. It's more so that others can see the life that Jesus gives to a mortal person, to a mortal life. It's for the benefit of others. Now, when Paul wrote this, he was literally facing death. I mean, there's one time that he was beat so badly they thought he was dead, and they drug his dead body outside of the town. Turned out he was alive, you know. I mean, he was literally facing death. But, but we face it in the same way, crucifying the flesh. Why? So that the life of Jesus can come forth. And in verse 13, he says, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And I'm a Mandalorian fan, so there it is again, I have spoken. It seems to come up every week, and I do not plan that out, okay? That's what God says, I've spoken, and that's it. There's no arguing, there's no debating. When God says it, yes and amen, right? I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus. And he will also present us with you to himself. And all of this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And this is the key. This is the shift that has to take place in our lives to be able to be in that situation, pressed but not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. Sure, things are rough. And sure, it seems like everything you do in life is opposed and you face opposition in every project that you set your hand to. But you're not, never in the, on the losing side of things. Just because you have opposition doesn't mean that, that you're done. We used the football analogy last week. You know, it's not like the wide receiver receives the ball and just sits down and cries because there's big defensemen in his way. Those guys are so big, you know. No, you find the hole and you go for it. And if someone gets in your way, what do you do? You know? Or you lower your shoulder. I mean, you just plow through them, right? You're a believer. If you think that the defense is just so big and so scary and you just, you can't do it, it's just impossible, then you've forgotten who you are in Christ. You've taken your eyes off of him and you, you've forgotten what he is calling you to. You know, it's no different than Israel when they saw how big the opposition was on their promised land. They saw opposition, what did God do? Do you know why he left the opposition there? He left the enemy on the... He left the enemy have possession of the promise to maintain it. God literally wrote that. He said, I left the enemies there to work the land. The enemy is, that's not their home. It's not theirs. They have stolen it. The only reason they're being left there is because they're taking the place until you kick them out. We got to rise up. And overcome those things. Those promises are yes and amen, but almost every time you're going to have opposition, right? You're going to have opposition to your promise being fulfilled. And what is our role in that? We rise up with Christ and we kick out the enemy because that's ours. And yes, it's going to be a fight. Yes, it's going to be a battle, but it's already been won. The victory's already yours. But yeah, you got to do your part to fight it, right? You kind of see this, this taking place? It happened physically with Israel. It happened spiritually with us now. It's the same reality. The natural world reflecting the spiritual reality here. Um, we have the ultimate victory no matter what because of Jesus. And I love this, this quote that, that Paul, Paul quoted David back in Psalm uh, 116 verse 10. He quoted David who said, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And when David spoke that, he was facing more opposition than any of us ever will in our lives. And when you read through the Psalms, you'll read, he lamented and he complained and he whined. He was honest about how he was feeling. He was honest that he felt like everyone was out to get him and death was right at, you know, the next step. But he would always end with, but... I trust in the Lord, but I will put my hope in him, and he will never let me be shaken. He will never let me fail. He would always end that way. And, and, and so what helps us to persevere in life is to be equipped to live by faith and not by sight alone. We believe in the promises of God, therefore we don't lose heart. We believe, therefore we speak. We believe them so firmly. This is the key that we need. We need to be able to read what the Word of God tells us is ours and then believe it so much that you can see it happening. To believe so much that Jesus is my healer, that, that this insulin pump, I can just see me taking it off and my levels are fine. I've tried it before too. It, it didn't end very well. My, my faith was stupidity. But you need to have that level of faith that, that, that you can just see it happening and maintain that. Because he who promised is faithful. And it is yes and amen. And at just the right time, 
And that's the challenging part on our part. We're not very patient people, right? But at just the right time, it's going to happen, and it will be fulfilled. So we don't lose heart because of that. That's what enables us to persevere through that valley of death and the shadows of death. Because what are shadows? Right? When you were children, I was afraid of shadows in my room. Meanwhile, it was like my stuffed toy. You know, why, why are you afraid of, of Brownie the uh, pound puppy? You know, I mean, come on. You know, but know that shadow that it casts. That's scary. That's spooky, right? My, my alone there, right? Shadows, they're, they're a false perception of reality. They make things look bigger. You, you know, look at your own shadow. You know, it's, it's big, tall, long, and skinny, and you got giant fingers, and it's kind of creepy looking, you know. I mean, it, it's, it's a false perception of what's really there. When we walk through the valley, the shadow of death is just a shadow. It's not as big as it seems, and it's not as significant as it seems. And don't we get ourselves worked up about nothing all the time, Right? We, we fill ourselves with fear and worry and anxiety because we're always thinking worst case scenario and it never happens, right? You know, it, that's a shadow of the valley of death. And we don't need to be afraid of no shadows. Why? Because we're the light of the world. You, there is no shadow in us. We can just cast out all shadows and all darkness, right? There is no darkness. There is no shadow that can ever, ever snuff out a light. It just can't happen. If you don't believe me, light a candle and try to cast a shadow over that flame and hide that flame. Won't happen, right? When we forget who we are, when we forget who we are in Christ, that's when things change. But when we remember, man, that you're more than an overcomer, that, that you are more than a conqueror, then you can overcome anything. You are elevated and you rise above your challenges. Um, Jesus said that what comes from our mouth comes from our hearts. And that can be a double-edged sword, right? It can be good and bad. But what comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. It just does. It's what Jesus said, you know. And, and what, what's in your heart may surprise you too. Like, oh man, I'm so sorry I said that. I don't really feel that way about you. Well, according to Jesus, you might have a little bit of that in there you need to deal with, right? Did your words ever surprise you? Yeah, yeah, mine do too, you know, you know, but what, what you say is what's in there. So what are we called to do? We're called to fix our eyes on Christ, and we learn from Colossians, which we're going to go to, that we are called to set our hearts on things above, not of this world. It all starts with your heart. That's why that's what the Holy Spirit does first. He transforms your heart. He renews you from the inside out, just like that seed. That seed comes to life from the inside out. It's no different with us spiritually. So when challenges and oppositions of this world arise, what do we do? Do we just complain and whine about them? Or do we also speak and remind ourselves of what God has promised? You can be like David. Be honest. Be open. Talk about how, man, this just sucks and I'm tired of it and I'm fed up with it and I, I can't wait for things to change. But don't ever just end there. That's nasty, right? You'd be like, you know what, but God, but God's promise that he's going to provide for every one of our needs. But this wasn't a surprise to God. It threw me for a loop, but he knew it was coming. So surely he has an answer and a solution for this. You know, he's going to work this together. You know, remind yourself of that. You know, sure it's painful, but God. Sure this looks impossible and I have no idea how it's going to work out, but God. 
I'm a mess right now. I am a hot mess, and I can't even make sense of how I'm feeling. But God, you know, I am falling apart right now, and I am so hurt. I can't believe this just happened. But God, you know, th- th- this is not how I thought things were going to go. This is not how I thought this relationship would, would end. But, but God, you know, there is no way out of this that I can see. I have no clue what I'm going to do. But God, and, and that's what we were reminded here in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Um, you know, this is just New Testament writing about an Old Testament um, testimony. Uh, Romans 8, or Romans chapter 4, starting verse 18, reminds us that against all hope, it was absolutely impossible and hopeless, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. God said it, and he believed it, and he had hope in it even though there was no worldly, earthly sense to believe it or to hope. And it said in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He's about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. She was in her 90s at that point. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Instead, he was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And I'll tell you, you can tell when God's people has this kind of faith. You can tell in worship, right? Uh, My life is falling apart right now, and and I'm pretty much worth more dead than alive, but I'm going to give some glory to God. I'm going to praise him because he is able to do what he has promised. I haven't received it yet, but he is faithful. He's going to bring it to fruition. It's going to happen. Abraham faced the facts, okay? Faith is not denying your reality. You're not cursing yourself when you say, look at all the people that came to Jesus. They weren't cursing themselves, and he didn't correct them the way that they're talking. When they came up and said, I have leprosy. I have this issue with bleeding. I have this, you know, this lame leg. I have this lame hand. You know, they... He didn't correct them in saying that. Face your facts. If you don't face your facts, then what does Jesus have to do, right? You don't need healed if you can't admit the fact that you're sick. You can't be healed if you don't admit the fact that you have a disease or that you have something, right? Face the fact like Abraham did. There's no way this can happen. I mean, dude in his hundreds is not going to be given birth to, you know, give, you know this is, can't physically happen. But those were his facts, but he believed in the truth and the promise of God, which trumped that fact. He believed in it, and because he believed and he didn't waver in doubt, he received that promise. I mean, decades after, and it just, it seems like, this is not always the case, but it seems like more often than not, God moves when there is no other option. When you hit rock bottom, and you have no other way to turn, and there is no earthly way that this could be possible, that's when the miracle, that's when the breakthrough happens. Why? Because then you have no option but to say, but God. (laughs) Because there's no way. It could have happened any other way. And then God gets the glory. And people see and know who God is in an undeniable way through your life and through your valley of the shadow of death. When they see you out through that, then they know that that could have only been God. You know, it wasn't until it was an actual impossibility that God stepped in. And it may be the same for us. You may be just, you know, you may be in a situation and you just need to remind yourself, but God. Don't end your sentence with a period. Put that comma in and say, but God. Even if you don't 
even if your heart is wavering in doubt, start speaking it. Start speaking it and you will start believing it. Start believing it and you will start speaking it. Whichever you're in, be like that man who, he came and he's like, my child, I believe he had, uh, what's it called? We have epilepsy and epileptic. You know, he, he brought his, his boy to Jesus and, and, and Jesus is like, well, if you believe. And, and he's like, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Like, you know, even if you're speaking it before you're believing it, that's okay. Start there. Start speaking. I believe, therefore I speak. That's what David said. That's what Paul quoted. And that's what changes our perspective as well. Start speaking God's truth. This is impossible, but God. And if you don't know what God's word says about your situation, reach out to myself or one of the elders or just another believer. For Pete's sake, Google it. Go to Bible Gateway. There are unlimited resources available out there. If you're in a situation and you don't know what the word of God says about it, then look it up. Most Bibles have a little concordance in the back that you can look up a key word, like I'm dealing with anger and I don't know how to get rid of my rage, you know? Boom! There, it unlocks all these scriptures, you know, about what to do. Come to Bible study, right? But this is the key. That is what enables us to do this in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith and not by sight. Our eyesight is fixed on Jesus eternally. We see beyond our immediate circumstances, we choose not to just live by this world alone and what we see. We choose to live guided by our trust in God's word. That what he says is true and is going to happen. That's how we live. We, we, we live as this hybrid where, yes, we face the facts of these impossible situations, but God has promised. And he is faithful to fulfill his promises. I'm going to keep serving him. I'm going to keep loving him. I'm going to keep worshiping him. I'm going to do everything that he's called me to do. And I'm just going to trust that at the right time, it's going to happen. My freedom is going to break forth. My healing is going to come forth. I'm going to be restored. That, that, that relationship is going to be reconciled. You know, that God will work things out. Because where our vision ends, due to either the unknowns of our future or the fogginess of uncertainty, life really throws that at us. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before, but I remember when I was younger and I was out with my grandpa on Keystone Lake, and you're out really early in the morning in a boat. And, and it's, it's such thick fog. You're relying on a compass to get you back to the dock. You, have, you cannot see the shores. You have no idea where you're physically at. And that was before the GPS days and everything, you know. You know, life can throw that kind of dense, heavy fogginess of it, just being uncertain. And as believers, it can make us afraid to do anything for fear that we make the wrong mistake. I just want to encourage you this morning to break that off. That is the enemy Telling you to be cautious and to stay still and not to do anything. You've got the compass of the Holy Spirit inside of you, guiding you and directing you. If he tells you to be still, be still. But if he tells you to move, you better get moving, right? Moving by faith and not by sight. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills, but you see a need of your neighbor and God's calling you to do it. Meet that need, and trust that God will bring the provision for everything else. Follow the compass and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And you can't go wrong. Follow and it'll always lead to victory. That kind of prophetic insight, that's what gives us hope and assurance and confidence. Even when we can't see in the natural world how things are going to end and how things are going to go. It requires that degree of faith that we walk by faith and not by sight. Our faith replaces our eyesight because our faith is in heavenly realm seated with Christ and we know where we're heading. 
Although we face the same challenges as everyone else in this world does, we inwardly are renewed despite them because we have a living hope. In fact, the word of God says that living hope, Jesus himself, is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Though life is throwing all kinds of storms at you, your soul, your emotions, your, 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 your peace comes from Christ. Even though you are facing a storm, you can face it with a peace that surpasses all understanding. No reason why you should just be okay right now, but you're okay despite the calamity that's come your way because you have your faith in Christ. And so when we speak, we speak not only of the facts of our difficulties and our challenges, it's okay to talk about them. It's not a lack of faith and it's not doubt. Be honest, be truthful. As a Pentecostal believer, be truthful, right? We have the spirit of truth dwelling within us. Face your facts, but believe in the truth of God to overcome them all, right? Because we have more than just a spirit of faith. We have the Holy Spirit. I mean, the very presence of God, capital P, person of God. You've got the third person of the Trinity right now where you're sitting dwelling inside of you. I mean, how unstoppable should we be when that is our reality? That same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is dwelling in you. That same spirit that brought all creation into existence because the word of God spoke is living inside of you. Think about that. And if we are created in the image of God and the person of God is dwelling within us, then how powerful are our words that we speak? I believe, therefore I have spoken. That is a double-edged sword. You're a prophetic people. Your words have power. If you start speaking worst-case scenarios, don't be surprised if worst-case scenarios do start happening, right? we got to be careful with our words. In fact, the Word of God says that we're going to answer to God and be accountable to Him for every idle word spoken. And I speak more idle words when I'm worried and anxious about something than I ever do any other time, you know. I start saying things that I really shouldn't be saying. Your words are powerful. In fact, we've all heard it before. Proverbs 18, 21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Both are in this little itty bitty thing in, in my head, you know. Why? Because Jesus said what you say comes from the heart. What you say, what, what's in the heart is what you believe. I believe, therefore I've spoken. It's powerful. In fact, chapter 3 teaches us, we're going to be getting to that, I think, or we did just talk about that the last week, or we're getting to it, one or the other. Make sure you come in Bible study, right? James 3 teaches our tongue is like the bit in, in the mouth of a horse, or it's like a rudder on a ship. It's not all that big physically, but that little tiny thing sets the course of your life. I believe, therefore I have spoken. What you speak, that's where you're heading. It's no different than like, you know, when you're, you're driving a car or riding a motorcycle. Where you're looking, that's where you're heading, you know? And, and it, it works, by the way, that works in reverse too. If you're driving and you look behind you, what does your hand do? It turns the opposite direction, right? A lot of accidents happen from that kind of thing, okay? A lot of accidents happen spiritually. All because of what we speak, you are guiding your life. You are directing your life by what you speak and the words you choose to speak out. That's why you got to be careful to have that but God in your laments and concerns about your facts. Don't ever leave out the promise of but God says 
And we need to help hold each other accountable with that. When we're chatting and we're talking about life and this really challenging situation, spur each other on to good works. Remind them, like, okay, but God, right? You know, but, but, but what's God going to do? What does he promise to do in this, right? So, so we want to do both. We want to face our facts and be honest about them and, and be honest about how we're feeling about them. But we also want to remind ourselves to trust in the Lord and his promises. It's going to be fulfilled. When we do that, when we change the direction of our speech, we become elevated. We rise up, right? That's what guides you upward, you know, you're going deeper into the muck and mire, man, this really is rough, and I have no idea how this is going to end, but God. And then you, you start bringing it back up. You start elevating and rising above it, you know. But God's going to do this. This is what he's promised to do in situations like mine. This is what he's done before in, in other people's testimonies. Your testimony can be the but God for somebody else. But, but for Annette, God did this. And so why wouldn't he do it for me, you know? <laughs> you know, remind yourself of those things. Testimonies are powerful. In fact, Revelation, um, it, Jesus spoke and he said that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, right? It's been poured out by Jesus. I mean, it's all, it, everything starts a relationship with Jesus, but also by the word of our testimony. You overcome, you elevate in life, you rise above things by the word of your testimony, so that tongue better start, you know, slapping out something good, right? That agrees with the promises of God, not just about our reality. Colossians 3 says this, and I'm reading from New Living Translation this morning for this one. Just because I quoted it last week from the NIV already, so we'll change it up for fun. It says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, because you died in this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, then you will all share in his glory. And, and I love the way different translations say the first part of this verse. You know, to set our sights on the realities of heaven. Some other translations say, to give your attention to the things of heaven. Other translations say to look to the things above. Others say to seek or to pursue the things above. This, this is your rudder. This is your eyesight. This is where you're heading. Where we look or where our aim is, that's where your lives are going to go. If we continue to wallow around looking at just the opposition and all the challenges all around us, that's where you're always going to be. You're going to be transferring from, from, from muck and mire to muck and mire, never from glory to glory. And as God's people, we are called to transition from glory to glory. When we lift our eyes up to the hills where Jesus' help comes from, right, from the Psalms, things begin to change for us. Initially, all that it is is our perspective. Nothing changes, yet everything changes for us. Your circumstances don't change at all. But when you start saying, but God, your perspective starts to change. Your perspective and the way that you see your circumstances begins to change. When this occurs and nothing really changes around us, everything changes inside of us. Then you have this hope and this peace and this trust. You have faith. You're, you're walking by faith and not by sight. And when you start walking by faith and not by sight, after that shift happens, more often than not, your circumstances start to change too. 
It's kind of like steering in a boat. If you've ever stowed, even if you've ever steered, even a little bass boat, you know, it's not like you shift the wheel like you do in a car and boom, you instantly turn that way. You, sh- you turn the wheel and there's a delay before the boat starts to go that direction. You know, that's sort of what our faith is like. Our faith leads us and guides us. We walk by faith and not by sight. And as you, as you change your faith, nothing changes at first, but then your sight starts to change and you start seeing things differently. And the next thing you know, your life starts heading a different direction. The head and not the tail. That's living by faith and not by sight. So here it is. Here's the key to seeing what God is doing through all of life's challenges. And the key to rising above and overcoming them all. It is less about seeing the future. It's, here's what, it's less than, it's less than knowing what God is doing. It's less than seeing the end result. I have found through personal experience and even through the word of God, that he rarely ever tells you, oh, this is what I'm doing and this is how it's going to end. Rarely ever does he do that. But what does he do? He says, just, just look at me. Just look at me. You know, I remember whenever the, the kids were going to the dentist when they were really young and they were scared to death, you know, I'd be like, I'd put my hand on their hand, I'm like, okay, just look at me. Just look at me. All right, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And they, they would calm down and they'd be peace. Unless you're Nate. Then he'd be like, ah, you know. <laughs> but... Or, or, never mind, I have stories. Or Megan, I'd, I'd take a picture of her in the chair and the sign behind it says no, no cameras or photography due to HIPAA violation. I'm like, snap. She's like, dad, would you stop that? Like, that is so... <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. Too many stories there. Dentists are fun. Um, but that's, that's the key. The key is not knowing how this is going to end. The key is not knowing what's going to happen. The key is knowing God. The key is seeing God. The key is, the key is setting your aim, fixing your eyes, setting your sights, seeking, pursuing. Whatever translation of the Bible you want to read in Colossians chapter 3, that's the key. You set your eyes on God. Keep your eyes fixed on Him, the person of God. That is, that is how you see your way through these challenges in opposition, and you elevate yourself, and you rise above them. Because when our eyes are fixed on him, then you're always heading the right direction. You always are. Even when you're scared to death, and you have no idea what's going to happen, or how you're going to get there, when you're in that fo- dense fog of life, and you can't really see what's happening around you, when you follow him, you can't go wrong. You're heading the right way, and it's going to end well. And I'm going to end here with a familiar testimony about Jesus. And this is recorded in, in um, all four Gospels. If you turn to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to read from Matthew's account. You've probably heard this a thousand times, but if you're like me, I need to hear it again. Because I hear it, I don't live it out. I can quote it, I don't live it, you know? I, I remember what I was telling you about, you know, I was, you know, all frustrated the other day with Becky, and I'm like, you know, I'm a man of faith. I really should not be struggling this way, you know? But <laughs> all this opposition, like, come on. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. Did I put 20? No, 33. Okay. All right. So they're out there. They're ministering. This is the time, I believe. You can quote, check me if I'm wrong, but I think that this is the encounter when Jesus fed like 5,000 men, you know, not including women and children with, you know, the loaves and fishes. He does this powerful testimony. And then it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, if Jesus had to make you do something, you probably didn't want to do it, right? They just wanted to hang out there for a while. I mean, can you imagine the atmosphere of that place? 
you know, sometimes you got to work up worship in here. You know, you got to kind of kick the things off the world. You kind of got to kind of work it up. Can you imagine being in that atmosphere when that miracle just took place? I mean, it was probably such praise and worship and thankfulness and laughing. And you wouldn't want to leave that place, right? So Jesus made them leave and to get into the boat. And he made them go on ahead of him to the other side. Some of the darkest seasons of life is when you don't sense the presence of God. When you don't sense the presence of God, those dry seasons spiritually, those can be some of the most challenging ones to walk by faith and not by sight. So he sends them on ahead of him. He doesn't go with them. Instead, he went back and he dismissed the crowd. Then in verse 23, it said, After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because of the wind against it. Now, you want to talk about opposition. It's easy to read through this and just keep going, but, but, but if you put yourself in this situation, man, you know, he, he, he apparently got pretty caught up in prayer. You ever do that before? You're like, okay, I'm going to pray for five minutes. And you're like, man, how am I ever going to get through this? And the next thing you know, like half an hour passes, and you're like, Wow. You know, when you just start just talking to God and listening and just, you get caught up in it, you know. Um, he got pretty caught up in prayer and day quickly turned to night. Okay, so I talked about how Jesus had a rhythm of life of praying in the morning. Doesn't mean it's the only time he prayed. Here he is praying in the evening as well. That'd be an awesome prayer time. But then, when he decides to go meet up with the disciples, he realizes not only is he all alone, but he walks up on the scene. It's night, he's all alone, and he walks down to the shore and he's like, huh, that, that, that's my boat out there right now, <laughs> you know? I don't know if Jesus was surprised by this. I mean, he was God, he was flesh. I don't know which side it was here, man or God, you know? That, that it, it would still be surprising, right? It would still be um, a, a concern. It would still be uh, just scary, you know? I mean, can you imagine yourself standing there? You're looking at your boat, it's out there, and it's dark. I mean, you'd be discouraged and frustrated and, and wondering. I mean, you know, we, we know that the wind was buffeting the boat. That's what caused it to go out, so... Do you really want to, like, jump in and try to swim to it when the waves are that high? I mean, it'd just be a scary thing to do, to figure out what, how you're going to handle it. However, Jesus, he walked by faith and not by sight. When we see earthly calamity, we should also be able to see heavenly opportunity. That's the but God part. When earthly calamity comes our ways, when we're pressed and when we are persecuted, and when we are struck down, calamity coming our way, we should not see not only worldly calamity, but also earthly or heavenly opportunity, but God. And that's what Jesus did here. He saw heavenly opportunity because of those dire worldly circumstances. And he may have known this was all going to happen. I don't know. It's all speculation one way or another. He may have known his boat was going to go out there, but he may not have. I don't know. In any case, at night, with high wind and waves, Jesus walks out onto the water. And while he's walking on the water, I kind of imagine him, like, walking up to his boat and being like, <laughs> I'm going to go get him. And he just walks right past his boat, 
And we're going to read how far it was. I mean, we're talking literally three to four miles. They were out onto the lake. This is no little, you know, Keystone Lake or pond that we're talking about. You know, this is a lake. This is miles. You know, we're talking like not quite Lake Erie. I forget which lake it was. Someone can tell me if, if you know. I'd have to research it. We're talking like Lake Erie kind of size, you know. Um, well, maybe not quite that large, but in any case, you get the idea. Um, so he decides, hey, why don't I just take a midnight stroll and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see what those guys are up to, you know? It'd be a lot of fun. Um, so in verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn, you get this picture, he was praying, night came. So this is no short stroll. This was a hike. This was a walk on water that Jesus is doing. All through the night, this took place. It says, when dawn was arriving, the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come walk on the water. So Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. So he was heading the right direction, right? Things were going well, but remember the tongue holds life and death? That, that but is pretty big. It can go either direction, but God always guides you in the right direction. But world, but this is my impossibility. You know, we, we've got a sign in the office, and I think Dell actually printed it and put it out there, you know, that to never, never tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is, right? Yeah, that's how we want to see. That's how we want to look. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, and the wind, when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. As if that 5,000 miracle wasn't enough, you know, truly, you are the Son of God. So we've probably all heard this story and this testimony a hundred, a thousand times before, but it still rings true in our lives. When Peter kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, and when he was walking by faith and not by sight, he did the impossible. He literally was elevated and rose above the stormy waters and, and, and impossibilities that he faced. He literally was elevated and rose above them. But when he started to look at his impossible circumstances and took his eyes off of Christ, he began to sink. But Jesus still caught him. Even when you stumble and fall and trip and doubt, that doesn't mean you discounted yourself. Don't believe the lie of the enemy telling you that you missed it. Don't be like, oh well, this is just my destiny. You know, <laughs> hope the fire department gets here in time, you know. No, no. Cry out to Jesus. Lord, I screwed up. Save me. Help me. Clean up my mess, you know. And what does he do? He reaches out to where you're at. He meets you where you're at. And he elevates you. He raises you up above that muck and mire that you got yourself caught up in. He is faithful to do it every single time. Even when you're doubting him and you cry out to him. Even like that father. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus still met him there, and he still did the miracle. He didn't rebuke him and correct him because of his lack of faith. He just met him where he was at, because why? He was honest about his facts. My faith isn't what it ought to be. I don't know if I believe that you can heal my son right now. 
He admitted the facts. And he went to Jesus. Right? He sought after Jesus. He fixed his eyes. He fixed his sight on Jesus. And he admitted the facts. And Jesus meets us there and does the impossible. That's when miracles, signs, and wonders take place. That is when we are elevated and rose above, right? Because Jesus is, last time I checked in Revelation, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, right? Beginning and the end. He is the beginner, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. He does that. He's responsible for your faith. You do your part, I believe, therefore I've spoken, right? We do our part, but he does, he's the one that grows it, matures it. It's just like that seed. We do our part. We plant the seed. We water it, throw some crap on it, right? You know, it's God who makes it grow. It's God who does the growth. It's no different with us in our lives. We do our part. God does his part. Boom. His word comes to pass at just the right time. Now that may be in an instant. That may be in 10 years. That may be in 38 years. For Abraham, that was 100 years. Well, not quite 100, but you get the idea. It was probably like 90-some, you know, when he, between the time that he received the promise and it was fulfilled. But we trust and we walk by faith that at just the right time, I'm going to be fully healed. I'm going to be fully delivered. I'm going to be fully restored. I'm going to be everything that God calls me to be. I'm going to receive every promise that God has promised me. So whatever our challenge, whatever our opposition might be right now, it's not our final destiny. Our dire worldly circumstances are heaven's opportunity. The stage has been set for the miraculous. A testimony is in the making, right? It's coming. It's going to happen. The question is, when Jesus calls out to us, and I believe he is calling out to each one of us right now, right here this morning, the same way he called out to Peter. He says, come. You've got to do your part. You've got to step out of the boat. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. You've got to stop surrounding yourself with this snuggy blanket of questions and fleeces of like, well, God, if someone says this, or if someone does that, or if this happens, then I'll do it. No! If you've heard the voice of God, follow that compass of the Holy Spirit and step out in faith. Even when the fogginess of your impossible circumstances tell you to stay in the boat, it's too dangerous out there. What if, what if, what if, right? Just silence the voice of the enemy and of your flesh. Don't believe the what if, believe the Holy Spirit. Believe and speak. You know what? No. You know, I'm going to be like the rest of these losers. I'm out of here. And you step out of the boat onto the water, right? You know, be like Peter. And if you stumble and fall, you have not blown it. You have not, you, you haven't missed out. Just cry out to Jesus. He'll pick you up. And what happened? What happened when they reached their destiny? What happened when they finished going through the valley of shadow of death? The wind ceased as soon as they got back into that boat. It's, it's up to us. God's always faithful to do his part. But when he calls us to come, will we choose to rise up? Will we choose to grab the hand of Jesus and allow him to pull us up out of the muck and mire and to set our feet on a solid rock? Will we, will we approach him? Will we seek after him? Will we set our sights on him and not on the impossibilities around us? Because that's our destiny. And the only reason you ever reach your destiny is because you keep your eyes and your, your goal and your, your aim fixed on him. 
To see with eyes of faith and to see what God is doing through your circumstances, it's just to see him. It's just to see him. It's not to see how he's going to work it out, because that's me, it's my personality. I want to know the deets. I'm a detailed person. I want to know what's going to happen next and what's going to happen after that. Give me a schedule, Jesus. Okay, when's this going to end? What do I have to do to make it happen? And she's like, no, 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 no. Just, just, just keep your eyes on me, okay? Let me do my work, just like the kids at the dentist. Let the dentist do their work. Your job is just to relax and keep that mouth open. You let them do their work, okay? That's like you, Christian, okay? Get rid of your anxiety and fear. Stop grimacing and crunching and trying to get out of that chair. Relax. Let God do his work, and you're going to be healed and restored and delivered and everything that he promised to do. He's going to do it, but you got to do your part, right? Easier said than done. I'm preaching myself right now this morning. Okay. All right. So we're going to end with prayer. And uh, Becky hasn't heard the message. She has no idea what I talked about. But I'm going to ask her to lead us in prayer because I've been talking all day long. Oh, it's going to be great. So, Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for your message, and we thank you for all that you're doing here in the midst of us, God, speaking to our hearts, drawing us nearer to you. God, I do pray for each one that feels this urge or, or uh, you're calling them into uh, stepping out into the, onto the water. Uh, Lord, we know that we can trust you to catch us. We know that, we know that you, we can trust you to make our way and um lord so we do we we just lay it all at your feet this morning we just thank you um lord for your plan your purposes god that you're not done yet lord that you have so many good things for the future here at this church and each one of our lives god and those that you uh, are going to draw in also god i just pray for each one here listening and and each one here that came out, Lord, to uh, obey you, Lord, and to be part of what you're doing on earth. So I pray for each one, God, as they walk their uh, new journey or whatever the things that you're leading them into, God, I pray for their faith to be big, Lord, that they would trust you uh, with it all, because we know you're trustworthy, Lord, and we do put our faith in you this morning and this afternoon as we step into all that you have for this church and for each one of us. And Lord, just bless each one here.